Hello and welcome. This is The Inoculation, a podcast that keeps you informed about anti-vaccine views and how they're shaping the world we live in. My name is Eva von Schaper. My name is Daivara Pechkaite, and today we're talking about homeopathy. And why is that? Actually, we wanted to talk about homeopathy a bit and talk about the backgrounds, um, because this is a pseudo-scientific system of alternative medicine um, that has links to anti-vaccination movements, because homeopathy and um, patients who um, use um, homeopathy or go see homeopathic practitioners um, are thought to have stronger ties to the anti-vaccine movements and are thought to have stronger ties to COVID denialism. Okay, so it's a very important community. So uh, how did this all begin? It began in the 18th century in in a town in the east of Germany called um, Dresden. So there was a doctor called Samuel Hahnemann who um, was um, a regular doctor who had... um, studied medicine in the 18th century. You have to remember that uh, medicine at this time was not what we know now, but really a lot of, you have to think of the common treatments being, um, you know, giving people opium, bloodletting, uh, that sort of thing were, were common treatments. And there was really no um, scientific background to what most doctors were doing. Um, There was no idea of what bacteria are, what viruses are, um, or how illnesses are spread. Right, and we can see some of these treatments at uh, different museums of medicine and uh, pharmacology around the world, and uh, uh, they really had, to put it mildly, a lot of side effects on the patient. So how was Hahnemann's idea different? Well, basically, Hahnemann was actually a quite interesting person. Um, He spoke a number of languages, uh, let's say. He spoke English, French, Italian, Greek, and Latin. And um, he worked as a translator. So while he was uh, translating um, a book that talked about uh, treating malaria and using um, quinine to treat malaria, Hanuman read in this book that quinine will first cause fever in a healthy person, um, which is the same effect that the illness malaria has on an infected person. And, and from this idea, he developed the central idea of homeopathic medicine. So the idea is that like cures like. You need to, you need to give the patient or the body a substance that will evoke that will evoke similar symptoms to the illness you're trying to cure. Okay, so to sum up, uh, Hahnemann is a German doctor in the middle of the 18th century, but he um, comes across this idea as a translator that you have to uh, kind of find a substance that gives similar symptoms as the illness. And so is there any background in this? Um, so is there any tradition that he was 
basing this upon? He was not, but the idea of like caring like is um, something that's also central to folk medicine. So you're kind of using uh, a cure that will evoke the same kind of symptoms. Right. And what did he do next? Did he publish his findings? Did he promote them in some way? He did. He uh, traveled around Europe a lot and spread this idea of homeopathy um, throughout Europe in the 19th century, in the early 19th century. His his main work was called the Organon, and it was uh, translated into a number of languages. Um, so this is where we can also find the basis of uh, the popularity um, of homeopathy in in the early 19th century in all of Europe. Right. And this is also uh, kind of the time when uh, societies around Europe are becoming familiar with the idea of vaccination, right? Uh, through uh, Jenner's discovery. So Edward Jenner made his uh, discovery of vaccination in England um, at the same time in the 18th century as Hahnemann um, developed his, his the pseudoscience of homeopathy. Right, so it must have been very confusing for people with all these new ideas coming in. So uh, what happened next? Okay, so what actually was quite interesting, I think, here was that Hahnemann, at first, he was quite impressed with uh, uh, generous smallpox inoculation. Um, so this was something that he called that that for him seemed uh, to prove his like cures like theory. So at the beginning, he he was really quite um, taken with vaccination. Right, and you could see why he was drawn to this principle, uh, but. Uh, did he stay with this belief or did he change his belief? No, because especially in the beginning with uh, Edward, Edward Jenner's uh, vaccination, there were quite a number of um, side effects and that at the end of the day um, brought him to distance himself from um, what we know now as effective vaccinations. Wait, and what about uh, side effects of homeopathy? Does it have none then? Well, I think what we haven't talked about yet is um, what actually is homeopathic medicine. His theory says, you know, you need to take substances that are found in nature and um, from these substances, which in themselves are often quite poisonous, um, you would then use, um, make what is called, or what in Germany are called globally, which... um, are little, let's just say, yeah, little beads of of sugar that have been that are saturated in um, homeopathic um, tinctures. Okay, so they extract something from plants or um, animal parts or metals, minerals, and then they apply this to. Sugar? Well, little sugar beads. What I think is also really interesting is that the uh, the substance that is thought to treat the disease is uh, first dissolved in water and repeatedly dissolved and shaken um, so that actually none of the substance is left in the water. 
oftentimes the dilution is to a point that uh, scientifically seen, there can be no molecule left in the treatment. So it's diluted to a point that it, it's just plain water. And Hahnemann says, and um, this is one of the main ideas in homeopathy, that um, the shaking, the repeated shaking um, of the substance in, in water uh, means that a memory of the molecule is left in the water. And it's these, it's the water's memory of the substance that at the end of the day is effective. Wow. So this really reminds me of uh, this, of this idea of memory water or uh, some kind of magical water that uh, anti-vaccine influencers were um, selling at the beginning of the pandemic. We'll drop a link to our article in the show notes. But before we go to today's trends, is there anything else that we should know about the history of homeopathy? Um, I think it's actually quite interesting to see that, well, while in the beginning, um, of course, homeopathy was concentrated in Europe and especially in Switzerland, in Austria and uh, in Germany, uh, that may have to do with um, the fact that Hahnemann spoke German and these are the three uh, German-speaking countries um, in Europe. In the, in the 19th century, we have to say, we had the rise of homeopathy and then uh, a phase of stagnation. And if we look at, for example, the United States, the homeopathy was um, brought to the United States for, or was made popular by a number of people in the 19th century. So uh, Hans Birch Graham or um, the German-born uh, Constantine Herring, uh, who came to the United States in 1833 um, and uh, founded the first academy for homeopathy in Allentown. Also, Herring um, helped to found uh, the American Institute of Homeopathy in 1844. And especially in the United States, a lot of... Um, um, a lot of patients and a lot of people thought that homeopathy was um, more scientific than uh, what we understand as uh, conventional medicine. In this time, we also see that um, we have uh, a lot of pushback against homeopathy. For example, uh, homeopathy was, was banned in Austria between 1819 and 1837. Um, and in the United States, at the same time, doctors who used uh, homeopathy who, or, or who practice it um, were, uh, were also banned from uh, medical societies. So um, at this time, we can see there's, there's a lot of people turning to homeopathy and um, also a very strong uh, move to, to quash it. And so at the beginning of the 20th century, though, um, we see homeopathy dying down, uh, losing importance, and um, then, then just seeing a renaissance in the, in the 70s. 
How did that happen? So, for example, in this Renaissance, we can see that the the number of practicing homeopaths um, we saw fewer than two hundred in the seventies to about three thousand in nineteen ninety six. the The Renaissance of homeopathy was driven by um, a number of very charismatic personalities, um, including Gorgos Vitulkov. Um, who was who was born in 1932 in Athens in Greece. He founded the Athenian School of Homeopathic Medicine, and this also was uh, an institute that that drove the Renaissance uh, of this pseudo science. India is is a center of homeopathic medicine, so it, it was brought to India in the first half of the 19th century. Um, was used mainly in India to to treat um, cholera and the, the Black Plague. Wow, so it was used against infectious diseases. And uh, we know that uh, this method uh, spread in India, in Brazil, some other countries, and then uh, um, it experienced a kind of rebirth uh, in, in Western countries again. And what is the history then of this movement's run-ins with the... Uh, idea of uh, vaccination and uh, what what are the origins of these movements or this community's anti-vaccination views? It's true that from the beginning, um, homeopathic medicine was very critical of um, vaccination. This was not only Hahnemann himself, um, but also uh, Constantine Herring, um, who established homeopathy in the United States. Um, and also James Tyler Kent, who um, who doubted uh, doubted proof that vaccinations do indeed work. But he talked a lot about the side effects of vaccinations. Okay, so we see that homeopathy uh, goes to the world and to people with a kind of pitch that uh, this is a gentler treatment. Um, with this kind of fancy sugar and uh, um, memory water. Uh, do they offer any alternatives to vaccination or do they only offer treatments when a disease happens? Yes, yeah, so uh, homeopaths do, has this, do have an idea that um, you can use so-called nosodes um, or what they say is a homeopathic immunization um, they see them as a substitute for conventional immunizations. Um, but the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention says there's no scientific evidence to support such claims. Um, and I think it's also important to say that there are currently no homeopathic products approved by the FDA. Right. On the other hand, we know that uh, there are laws regulating how to sell and produce uh, these products. So there's a there are EU laws, there are different societies, and sometimes you can even find homeopathic products in pharmacies around Europe. So what does the movement look like today? Well, for example, as to Germany, where I live, uh, homeopathy is mainstream. You can buy homeopathic products in, in all pharmacies. Um, you can, if you are a, um, a medical doctor, who went to university, it's uh, possible to uh, have a homeopathic practice. 
alongside your uh, mainstream uh, medical practice, um, the main main German insurers uh, reimbursed for many years uh, homeopathic uh, globules, homeopathic medicines. So really in Germany, and this is true of Switzerland and Austria as well, it's, it's actually quite a mainstream uh, treatment. So it's, it's um, not a niche treatment at all. Well, and we also know that it's quite popular in Brazil uh, and there are other countries. So for example, I know that in Lithuania, where I come from, uh, to produce this kinds of products, uh, they have to follow the German pharmacopoeia, so like the German methods of making them. And so they seem to have developed a whole uh, market, the whole procedure. So what are these products today? Do they still follow this idea that uh, of the um, water that remembers the shaking and Yes, well, it's actually still, um, I think one of the main products still are the globules, so the little sugar beans that um, have been, that absorb um, these, these very, very diluted substances. Um, so depending on the dilution, um, chemically, most of these globules do not contain any of the substance um, in the lower dilutions there can be some trace amounts. If we come back to the links to the anti-vaccination movement, uh, I'm a bit puzzled that the anti-vaccination movement would be interested in this because homeopathy often deals with uh, toxic uh, substances. And uh, from the from the research we did about the anti-vaccination movement, we know that parents are very afraid of um, of any kind of trace amounts of mercury so uh, how do these two movements or these two ideas uh, come together or reinforce each other? So your question was, why do, why do uh, people who believe in homeopathy, why are they still willing to take homeopathic medicines such as um, one that contains arsenic? which is in higher concentrations um, actually a, a quite potent poison. Was that, was that what you were asking? Exactly. Um, this is an excellent question. So they seem to believe that it, it is an immune-boosting medicine. And since also this is, it's, so, it's so diluted that it, there's no way it can work as a poison. I see. So... Uh, I'm still uh, struggling to square that circle, but but it seems that uh, that they do, and that these communities of, of people seeking alternative treatments or uh, seeking anything that is uh, outside of uh, mainstream science seem to come together. And uh, just a quick search on uh, popular online shopping engines. Um, shows different uh, so-called detox uh, methods and detox products uh, um, to, um, in their words, to heal from vaccines or to prevent COVID-19 infection. So clearly there's also a financial uh, gain that, uh, that this movement uh, experiences when, when they um, promote these 
these products as alternatives to uh, what a doctor or what a scientist might suggest in, in any given situation. Market size was estimated at $18 billion in 2020. And the, there's the expectation that it will grow to reach 60 billion by 2027. But how is this happening when study after study seems to show that there's no evidence that these treatments work? And the government of Australia commissioned a review of all available evidence that they could find. And they found that uh, there are no health conditions for which there is reliable evidence that homeopathy is effective. And uh, they also warned that uh, actually the use of homeopathy could delay treatment. And when people use homeopathic uh, products instead of uh, um, medically sound uh, treatments, they might put their health at risk because, uh, first of all, they, they might delay uh, treatment that could help them. And also, uh, even in trace amounts, uh, these substances that they take uh, can interfere with the treatment that they otherwise take from um, uh, so uh, their other medication or um, medical procedures. That's an interesting question. And I think um, what you're asking is why people do not know better. Well, I think that's the question is, can they know better? So they, in Germany, it's totally possible to go to a regular uh, medical doctor who went to university uh, and come home with a prescription for um, a highly diluted homeopathic uh, substance. So let's say you have a cold and you take the globule and you get better, um, it's only natural and very human to say, oh, it must have been, it must have been this medicine, what I see as a medicine that a doctor gave me. So saying these people don't know it, it doesn't work uh, is wrong. What we do know, though, is that study after study has not uh, been able to show um, an effect of homeopathic medicine uh, on any illness at all. Okay, so it seems that there's, there's a whole ecosystem that sounds very convincing. So there are universities teaching it, uh, there are different associations, and uh, uh, people who practice this method, they're, they're actually, um, many of them have qualifications in medicine. Uh, and uh, so it, it seems to be very confusing for a patient. Well, I think, actually, I think that people do get um, something, are looking for something that they feel that conventional medicine won't give them. Um, I'm just going to call it a sense of warmth and maybe a sense of control um, that they feel that conventional medicine doesn't give them. Exactly. And I've also read that uh, the treatment in homeopathy is kind of uh, matched with an individual patient. So sometimes the same condition um, might uh, um, be given uh, different treatments. So I guess this kind of individualized approach and this attention that people get from these practitioners uh, is also what helps them feel better and feel positive and optimistic about the treatment. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's, that's part of the appeal. Uh, but despite the appeal, we need to re reiterate here, I think, that study after study and uh, all kinds of reviews have been showing that uh, 
the substance itself, the, the water, the sugar, the alcohol, um, with or without uh, its uh, memories, uh, is not effective and is not really better than the standard of care. Exactly. I think it's very important to say that really it remains a pseudoscience. Um, there's no evidence to show that uh, homeopathy has any kind of effect uh, on any kind of illness. And also it, it cannot be used to uh, alleviate any vaccine side effects. Yes. And um, we see that very different um, attitudes uh, in this community towards uh, vaccination and COVID-19. But as long as it seems to feed on this uh, distrust in, uh, in medicine or so-called conventional medicine, uh, we see that it does uh, form links and draw people into, uh, into this kind of um, doubtful state. Uh, and then they are, they are drawn to anti-vaccination views as well. Exactly, exactly. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. And we'll be back in two weeks. And we're looking at conspirituality. We're going to do a bit of a deep dive on conspirituality um, for our next show. Please subscribe to our newsletter, Inoculated, and to this show on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and or any other platform of your choice. And if you're looking for a transcript, Transcripts will be available at our site at www.theinoculation.com. You can also find us on all major social media channels. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye for now.